You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this afternoon is taken from Exodus chapter 40, and this particular scripture reading is chosen because of our text, which is Numbers chapter 7. And as we shall see, Numbers chapter 7 also deals with the sacrifices in the tabernacle. Let us then listen to the word of our God as we find it together in Exodus chapter 40, beginning at verse 1, where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the testimony in it, and shield the ark with the curtain. Bring in the table, and set out what belongs in it. Then bring in the lampstand, and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the testimony. And put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics Anoint them just as you anointed their fathers, so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard 
And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. As we continue our series in the book of Numbers, we have come to Numbers chapter 7. And no doubt you want to say that presents some formidable challenges for us this afternoon. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll read the first number of verses. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. And the leaders of Israel, the heads of the families who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted made offerings, they brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These they presented before the tabernacle. The Lord said to Moses, Accept these from them that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting." Give them to the Levites, as each man's work requires. So Moses took the carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites, as their work required. And he gave four carts and eight oxen to the Merarites, as their work required. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathites, because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar. For the Lord had said to Moses, each day one leader is to bring his offering for the dedication of the altar. The one who brought his offering on the first day was Nahashon, son of Amminadad, of the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels, both according to the sanctuary shekel, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold dish weighing 10 shekels filled with incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering and two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs a year old to be sacrificed as a fellowship offering. This was the offering of Nashon, son of Aminadad. And now if you keep on reading, you will discover that everyone brought exactly the same offering. And after these offerings were brought, there is spoken of gold and silver. And then we come to the end of the chapter, verse 89. When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony. 
and he spoke with him. Thus far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, let's begin with a little Bible trivia this afternoon. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? If you said Psalm 119 at 176 verses, you are correct. A little harder question, what is the second longest chapter in the Bible? If you said Numbers 7 at 89 verses, you would be correct again. Another question. What is the central theme running through the longest chapter of Psalm 119? If you replied the law, then again, you're right. But a more challenging question yet. What is the theme for the second longest chapter in the Bible, number seven? Now that may be hard To answer, is it the tabernacle? Is it the dedication of the tabernacle? Is it the sacrifices? Is it the tribal leaders? You see, in a way, the theme in this chapter of Numbers 7 is not so easy to pin down. It's one of those chapters that sort of overwhelms you with its great length, its many details, as well as its... If you'll excuse me, it's tedious repetition. And the consequence of that is that many people take one look at this chapter and they turn the page or the pages and they go on with the next chapter. It's so long and detailed and remote that it seems to defy any ready answer. And then, beloved, I would dare say to you this afternoon that also here a little bit of perseverance pays off. For spend a little time in Numbers chapter 7, pay attention to its structure, note how it moves along, note its central activity. And what do you see? Well, after a while, you cannot help but see that this chapter is all about giving. It has to do with offerings, presents, gifts. Here the children of Israel, through their leaders, are busy giving gifts to the Lord God. And I do think that's a subject worthy of some consideration on our part. And so I would like to preach to you this afternoon on the following theme. The great giver receives gifts from his people. And we're going to see that these gifts are spontaneous, identical, and accepted. Well, beloved, whenever construction begins on a major project, it's not unusual to have what is called a groundbreaking ceremony. And you know, that's a ceremony in which a number of dignitaries get together and have a bunch of speeches, and they find this special kind of shovel, and they dig up a little dirt... And at the same time, when the building is finished, it's not at all unusual to have what is called a ribbon-cutting ceremony. 
Oh, and should the building be in any way a religious structure of one kind or another, then it's quite common to have a dedication service as well. And so it is that we all have our rituals. And you know, Israel had them too. For here in Numbers chapter 7, we read that the tabernacle has been finished at last. All the instructions, the dimensions, the designs stipulated by the Lord have been followed. All of the raw material have been found. The ordinary workmen, the special workmen, the work has begun, the work has continued, and the work has been completed. And at last, the tabernacle is ready. But nevertheless, before it can be used, as we read in Exodus 40, it needs to be dedicated. It needs to be set aside for the service of the Lord and for holy use. And that's now what Moses does. It says in Numbers 7 verse 1 that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings, the altar and all its utensils. Probably that means that he sprinkled olive oil on it and said any number of appropriate words as well. But beloved, that's not all that happened. For no sooner has Moses done his work and the leaders of Israel come forward, only they do not come empty-handed. No, it says that they brought as their gifts before the Lord six covered carts and twelve oxen. An ox for every leader and a cart for every two leaders. And that's not all they brought. Every day, for the next six days, each of the tribal leaders brought more gifts in the form of a special offering. And after that, beloved, you can read it as well, there was an outpouring of silver and gold and animals. Offering after offering is brought. Gift after gift. There's an outpouring here of great generosity. But then it's also necessary for us to realize that none of this was commanded. God did not tell the Israelites that this is what they had to do. Moses did not give them all kinds of orders as to what they were called upon to do. Now, as verse 3 tells us, they were gifts. They were gifts and offerings freely brought by the community. And, of course, it's possible that as they were discussing what to give, they may have consulted Moses and Aaron. They probably did. For, after all, these gifts should be fitting. But, nevertheless, there is no doubt that this giving is free, voluntary, Spontaneous. They wanted to do this. But then we ask why? What motivated them? What spurred them on? And of course, as you reflect upon this, I'm sure you can come up with all kinds of reason. The first has to do with liberation. Has the Lord not taken them out of the house of slavery and the land of bondage, the land of Egypt? Has he not set them free? And even more basic than that, was the Lord not their creator? 
Every reading of the law of the Ten Commandments as cited in Exodus 20 reminded them that the Lord had made everything in six days and that included every man, woman, and child in the nation, in the world. And so you can say that creation and liberation are in themselves sufficient reasons to sing the praises of this God and to bring Him gifts. None of them and none of us should need any more incentive than simply the fact that God creates us and God frees and redeems us. But, beloved, there is more going on here. More reasons for gratitude. For what was Moses dedicating there in the wilderness? Was it not the tabernacle? And what was the tabernacle and what was it for? For an answer, if you turn to Exodus chapter 40, which we have read together, and there we are told that once the tabernacle was finished, a cloud came and covered the tent, and that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In other words, God himself came down from heaven and took up his residence in the tabernacle and his holy presence filled the tent. And furthermore, we're told that the tent went with them. When it was time to move on, the cloud would lift. When it was time to settle down, the cloud would settle down and they would stay there. And during the day, all the Israelites could see the cloud and at night... It was lit up, and it reminded them that God's presence was still there, day and night. In short, beloved, in a most miraculous way, the tabernacle and the cloud represented the presence of the Lord among His people. Can you imagine that? The God of heaven and earth, the creator God, the liberator God, has taken up residence among the likes of the Israelites. And you know those Israelites were nothing to brag about. They were, to put it very simply, a rather motley crew. So was this not abundant reason for being astounded? And amazed and filled with joy and wonder. Yes, and then to think, beloved, that this God living in that tabernacle is also the God of blessing. We saw that last time in in Numbers chapter 6, that God promises to bless them and keep them, that He promises to shine upon them, that He turns His face towards them, that He gives them peace. The God of creation and liberation and the God of blessing lives among them. Yes, and in light of all of that, beloved, we should not be surprised by these gifts that the tribal leaders bring. Having been on the receiving end of so much, they give. They give cheerfully, they give spontaneously, they give generously. In short, what they do here is basic to all Christian giving. 
I dare say that real believers have always been real givers. They give not because they have to. They they don't give out of a sense of duty. They don't give because they're driven by guilt. No, true giving always and only arises out of a sense of overwhelming thankfulness to God. If you're doing it to score points with God, or out of a sense of compulsion, or because all your fellow Christians are doing it, or because you want a tax reduction. You're doing it for all the wrong reasons. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God loves a cheerful giver. It's not a grumbling one or a grudging one, or even a guilt-ridden one. Why, beloved, if we think of it as New Testament believers, we have even more reasons to be thankful, I dare say, and to give. But today, the Creator God, the Liberator God, the Blessing God does not live anymore among us or among His people in a tent. No, today He dwells among us in the person of His Son. John tells us the Word became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. And the catechism summarizing quite a few scripture passages tells us that with respect to Christ's divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. As he promised, he's with us always. Even to the close of the age. And so we have every reason for gratitude and thanksgiving. And that, beloved, should be reflected in our giving. A blessed believer is a generous giver. And so what, beloved, are you giving to the Lord? What are you doing spiritually and materially? What are you giving in prayer and in praise? What are you giving in service? And what are you giving materially? Do your donations to the service of the Lord reflect a spirit of true thankfulness? But then, beloved, if the Israelites here in number 7 are spontaneous givers. One could also say they're not very original givers. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of these gifts that they give are identical. You can't but help but know that every tribal leader gives exactly the same things for 12 days. They give the same things. So what is this? Well, let's be fair and say that their first batch of gifts are marked with sensitivity and consideration. They seem to have given some serious thought to what they should give. And in addition, they have taken pity on the Levites. The Gershonites have a lot to carry. The Marairites 
have even more to carry. They're the heavy lifters of the nation. And so the leaders give six covered carts, twelve oxen to the Lord, and the Lord tells Moses that he's supposed to give two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites for carting around all those heavy curtains. And Moses is supposed to give four carts and eight oxen to the Merarites to help them transport the crossbars, posts, base, ropes, and all the other stuff. But then we come to the verses 12 to 83 and the next set of gifts that Israel gave to the Lord. And as I said, they're all identical. And you read that. We didn't read it all. You can read it at home if you like. And you probably end up saying, boring. Not very original. And yet, that doesn't say everything here. But we also need to ask ourselves, why are all of these gifts identical? Why do all of the tribal leaders bring exactly the same thing? Why is there not all kinds of variety here? The answer is, beloved, that the Israelites have grasped the main thing about their relationship with the Lord. They have understood that sacrifice stands at the heart and the center of their life and their worship. They've realized that fundamentally everything turns around the altar as the focal point of daily worship. For stop and look at these repetitive gifts. What do they represent? What are they for? The first has to do with grain offerings. Grain offerings made on the altar. Each leader gives a silver plate weighing 130 shekels and a silver bowl weighing 70 shekels. And and both are filled with fine flour mixed with oil. The second has to do with an incense offering. Each leader gives a gold dish weighing 10 shekels and each is filled with incense. The third has to do with burnt offerings. Each leader also brought one young bull, one ram, one male lamb a year old, all to be offered in the fire and the flame. And the fourth has to do with sin offering. Each leader also brought one male goat to be sacrificed. And the fifth has to do with fellowship offerings. And there you get each leader brings two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old, all had to be slain, burned, and sacrificed. In short, beloved, if you look at the list, what you see is that all of these gifts have to do with sacrifice, with material for the altar. And even more, if you look a little deeper, you see that all of these gifts have to do with establishing, maintaining, and re-establishing forgiveness, reconciliation, and fellowship with God. Some of these gifts gave thanks to God for another harvest. 
Others had to do that with sins that needed to be paid for. Still others with various kinds of uncleanness. Then there were those that supported the priests. And especially those that were meant to signify the healing of the breach between God and man. In short, beloved, here the religious life of Israel was consecrated and concentrated. Yes, and because all of this was so vital, so central, and so essential, each of the tribal leaders brings the same gift. They all testify to the fact that their life and their fellowship with God centers on the altar. And it sacrifices. Every tribe is saying, we have a stake in the worship of God. Every tribe is saying, we want to sustain and support this worship. But of course, you may want to say at this particular point, but all of this is so Old Testament So old-fashioned, so out of step today. Why are you spending all this time on this old stuff? True. And not true. It's true that we're dealing here with ancient stuff. But let's not be so naive as to assume that ancient stuff has no bearing on modern stuff. Well, let me ask you, what is central to New Testament worship? To the worship of the church of Jesus Christ today? Is it not still the matter of sacrifice? Only then of that one great sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord? And is it not the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that represents the heart of the gospel? The altar has been replaced by the cross. The sacrifice of animals has been replaced by the one great sacrifice of Christ. You see, all this old stuff points forward. It points us to Christ and to his great redeeming work for us on the cross of Golgotha. But then do you also see something else, beloved? It's once again about giving. Why did the tribal leaders give these gifts? It was to maintain the worship of the Old Testament tabernacle, the church. No gifts, no offerings, no offerings, no peace, no peace, no reconciliation. It's all tied together. And why today are we still giving gifts to the church? 
Is it not the same reason? Doesn't it have anything to do with our worship? Is it not to maintain the preaching of Jesus Christ and Him crucified? No gifts, no pastors, no pastors, no preaching, no preaching, no life, true life in the Spirit, no missionaries, no ministry of reconciliation. And so, beloved, we're reminded here of some very present-day realities. But then it should also be noted that in addition to the gifts of carts and oxen and the repetitive gifts mentioned in the verses 12 to 83, there are also more gifts. We haven't really dwelt on them, but the gifts of silver and gold and more animals. Israel supplies everything that God needs, everything that Moses and Aaron need for the service of the Lord. And as for the Lord, what does He think about all this? Is there any way of knowing? Is He happy or sad? Is He accepting or non-accepting? Is He pleased? Is He displeased? Well, turn. Truly, it must be the former. For verse 89 says that when Moses entered the tent of meeting, he heard the Lord, the voice speaking to him. And you know, that can only mean one thing, and that is that the Lord is pleased with Israel and with His leaders and His people and what they have done. For you know, in Scripture, when God isn't pleased, He doesn't speak. Or if He does speak, He speaks in wrath. Amos 8, 11 reminds us that sometimes God sends a special famine on the earth, a famine in the hearing of the words of the Lord. And God doesn't speak and people do not hear. But yet here no such thing happens. When Moses comes into his presence, God speaks. It can only mean that God approves. God's pleased with his children. And God continues to lavish his grace upon his children too. For notice what it says about his voice. Special reference is made to its location. It says that Moses heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony. What does that mean? What message did that send to the Israelites of old? What, what message does it send to us today? Well, the obvious, first of all, is that it told the Israelites, there's somebody home. This tabernacle is not empty, it's not vacant. It's not just one great glorious exercise in wishful religious thinking. No, this tent is filled with God. In addition, beloved, it told them that their God desires to communicate with His people. He speaks. He speaks to Moses. And in Him He speaks to all the people. And finally, the fact that He speaks between the cherubim and above the atonement cover of the ark means that this God, our God, is the wondrous God 
of forgiveness, life, and salvation. You know where the sacrificial blood goes, don't you? You know what the high priest does with the blood. He sprinkles it on the covering. It indicates that sin has been paid for, that forgiveness is extended, that fellowship has been restored between God and man. And so, beloved, here in our text, when God speaks, He's speaking from the mercy seat. And today He still speaks. No, He doesn't speak from a tent nor from above the ark. Today, God speaks to us from heaven. He speaks to us through His Son. And He does so not from a mercy seat, but from a throne. From His throne, He speaks words of peace and life, forgiveness and love, comfort and joy. But what a God... What a Savior. What a salvation. God has given us so much. What are we giving to Him? Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.